0: Hello and welcome to Just a Thought Podcast, episode 38. I'm Corey Tinkham. Thanks for joining me. Unfortunately, many, many people across the globe turn up missing every year. Sometimes it's by choice. Some people just decide they want to start a new life or whatever the case may be. Unfortunately, other times it's not their choice. And sometimes the circumstances in which they disappear are very, very, very bizarre. That's today's topic, strange deaths and disappearances. There's a lot of weird, weird cases. Sit back, relax, let's get started. again, and thanks again for tuning in to episode 38. First of all, I want to say I'm sorry for last week's episode. If you listened to last week's episode, no doubt you noticed the large gap in the audio. I would have no idea what happened. I use GarageBand, and I'm pretty proficient with GarageBand, and I have no idea what occurred. You can have a wave file or a track of audio in GarageBand, and you can mute part of it um, or all of it, and bits and pieces. You can break the track apart, and that's not what was happening. There are uh, indicators that will tell you if something is muted. It just that that whole section just would not play. There was no sound. I could see the wave file there, but there was nothing I could do. So I decided to post it anyway because to re-record it, I just didn't have time and. The way my podcast works, I don't have a script, I have an outline of notes and details and facts in front of me, and I simply just talk about it and try and keep everything really conversational. Well, there was no way I could go back and just re-record that section because I don't remember exactly, word for word, what I said and how it tied into the, to the, the next bit that came after the silent part. I, I just don't know. So anyway... If anyone has any ideas of how that can happen, let me know, podcastjat at gmail.com. I don't know. It's a mystery in and of itself. So anyway, I'm sorry about that. Hopefully this, this recording will go better. <laughs> anyway, on to today's topic, strange deaths and disappearances. And there's a lot of these. We've all read about some pretty popular cases that you know have been on other podcasts and and various mystery YouTube channels or what have you. So I tried to dig deep and find some cases that were really, really strange and relatively unheard of. And I think I've been able to do that, and we'll dive right into them today. Now, some of these, I will warn you, are pretty graphic in the details, a little gruesome, so if that's something that's going to, you know not sit well with you. If you don't have a strong stomach, so to speak, you may want to sit this one out. Um, They're not all terribly violent or gruesome, but there are some cases that are pretty, pretty disturbing, but very, very, very strange. So the first case, I had never heard of this one. Maybe you have, um, is very, very strange, and that's the case of Blair Adams. Now, this happened in 1996. Uh, Blair Adams was a 31-year-old Canadian, and he lived in Surrey, British Columbia, and he was a very charismatic, happy-go-lucky kind of guy. He was very much a people person. He was very well-liked. He was a foreman on a construction company and worked very hard. He really enjoyed his job. He was very, very good at it and pretty much a well-rounded, well-liked guy in his community. And in 1996, though, he changed. His personality changed. He became very moody, had a very short temper all of the sudden. I mean, he was a pretty even keel, level-headed man up until this point. Suddenly, he seemed worried, agitated. He was not sleeping and very, very, very moody. And his mother, her name was Sandra Edwards, she noticed these mood swings and she noticed that he was becoming short-tempered and she could tell that something was very, very wrong with him. Something was bothering him and she could just tell. And she would ask him numerous times, you know, what was going on? And he would tell her, quote, I don't think I should tell you about it, end quote. So something was going on in Blair's life that was very concerning to him. It was making him lose sleep. Changing his mood and changing his personality? Well, July 5th, 1996, his behavior became increasingly concerning. It just got worse and worse. He ends up withdrawing his entire savings of $6,000 cash and emptied a safe deposit box that had thousands more worth of jewelry and various valuable possessions that he had in this safety deposit box. Blair had a plan to come to the United States, specifically to Tennessee, for reasons unknown. But he was very focused on coming to Tennessee. So two days after he withdraws all this money and these valuables, he tries to cross the border into the United States, but he was denied entry because all this money and valuables fit the profile of drug trafficking. And, you know, he's a single male with a large amount of money, And it just fit the profile, so they refused to let him cross the border. So he goes back home. He ends up quitting his job, and he collects his last paycheck. And he spends $1,600 of his savings on a round-trip plane ticket to Frankfurt, Germany. Now, Frankfurt, Germany is where his girlfriend lived. And she was not expecting him. She had no idea that he was planning to come to, to see her. Um, and he had actually worked at his stepfather's construction company in Frankfurt, Germany the prior year, and that's where he met her because she worked there as well. Now, she would describe him as a loving boyfriend, a very gentle man. Some of the co-workers, however, at this, at this construction company described him as a little bit short-tempered and even involved in a couple fights, which did not fit the the profile of his personality at all. So I found that interesting. Um, before he leaves for Germany, the last person to see him was a friend of his. Uh, he stopped off at his friend's house in great distress. He was very, very upset and very fearful and disheveled. And he actually tells his friend that he is scared for his life, that somebody is after him to kill him. And he that's all he says. He doesn't reveal any further details at all. And again, his mother... Notice that he was even more agitated than before, so this is getting really concerning and his, he's increasingly agitated and fearful. His flight to Germany was due to leave the day after he purchased his ticket, but Blair still had his sights set on Tennessee. So he turns in his tickets and rented a vehicle, and this time he was able to enter the United States. And he first arrived in Seattle, Washington. Once in Seattle, he gets a one-way ticket to Washington, D.C. Now, for reasons unknown, he purchases a $770 ticket where he could have purchased a round-trip ticket for cheaper for about $350 to $400. At any rate, he arrives in D.C. early morning, that next morning, and travels to Knoxville, Tennessee which is about 500 miles southwest. So now he's in, he's in Tennessee. He's made it to Tennessee. The first witness to see him in Knoxville uh, was a gas station attendant. It's about 5.30 p.m. And he complains to the gas station attendant that his, his vehicle won't start. He's driving a Toyota. And so the attendant is looking at his car and he finally tells him, tells Blair that, you know, you've got the wrong keys. So they searched the car, they searched the ground around the car for the keys. They could not find the keys. Um, They were nowhere to be found. Now the gas station attendant asks Blair, Hey, you know, search your pockets. But according to the gas station attendant, Blair adamantly refused. He was very adamant about not turning out his pockets, which is a little strange. If you're looking for keys, you would think you wouldn't have a problem looking in your own pockets. Now, the rental car agency had closed for the day, so now Blair is stranded in Knoxville and has nowhere to go or no way to, to travel. He ends up hitching a ride to a local motel. And one of the employees at the motel remembered Blair and says, quote, the best way to describe him would be paranoid. He just was very nervous, agitated, expecting someone to come in on him even though there was nobody there. I don't know who he was looking for, but he was waiting for somebody to walk in for him, end quote. And this motel had a security camera overlooking the lobby, and within an hour's time, Blair enters and exits the lobby five different times before checking in or getting a room. Once he gets a room, he checks in, he puts the room key in his pocket, but instead of going to the room, he leaves the motel through the front door and never returns. This was at 7 37 PM, and that was the last time that Blair would be seen alive. Around twelve hours later, only one half mile away from the motel, Blair's body is discovered. He was nude from the waist down, his shoes had been removed, and his socks as well, and they were turned inside out. Scattered around the body was four thousand dollars in cash, American, Canadian, and German currency. Uh, There was a small little sack that contained all his valuables like his jewelry and gold, etc., and that was estimated to be about $2,000. The car keys that he claimed he couldn't find were discovered about 10 feet away from his body. He also picked up several other pairs of car keys from another rental company. It's very, very strange. Now, according to the autopsy... Uh, He sustained many, many cuts and abrasions all over his body, but the cause of death was determined to be due to a violent blow to his abdomen, and this ruptured his stomach. Um, It is said that a weapon, something like a club or a crowbar, was used to strike him in the forehead, leaving a a huge slice in his forehead. Um, It was evident that Blair put up a fight. His hands were, were bloodied up and scratched up, as if he was holding them up in, in self-defense. In his fist was a long strand of somebody's hair. And this was a very obviously a very significant piece of evidence uh, because obviously it could contain DNA. Um, other injuries kind of indicated that Blair was sexually assaulted. There was no uh, DNA evidence found in regard to that. Uh, it was unclear as to when all this occurred. Um, he struggled with, with drug usage in his past, but he'd been clean for, for at least two years. There was no drugs or alcohol found in his system whatsoever. They checked the remnants of his stomach, and they found lettuce, meat, and shrimp, uh, which indicates that he had eaten after he left the motel, but there were no, no witnesses that saw him at any restaurants. Nobody reported seeing him anywhere after he left the motel. There was also no history of mental illness at all. He was a very stable young man, very uh, level-headed until all this occurred. Uh, there were no witnesses except there was one person who reported some suspicious activity prior to, Pla- uh, to Blair's death. It was a security guard uh, from a nearby business who claimed that he heard um, a loud scream that he believed to be a woman's voice around 3.30 a.m. And that is the only witness testimony that was available. That's the only person that heard something. They didn't even see anything. This gentleman just heard what he described as a woman's scream. It may or may not even be related to Blair's death. It's a very strange case. It is still unsolved. There are so many questions. Why Tennessee? Why was Blair so focused on going to Tennessee Uh, He had connections in Germany. It is said that he was fearful of some of his co-workers in Germany, that he even was afraid they might want to hurt him. But that wasn't something as extreme as, you know, killing him. It was more of, you know, kind of like, I'll meet you out in the parking lot after work to fight kind of conflict. Now, there are so many theories of what has happened here. Some folks say that it was a, kinky sexual act gone wrong others say that it's possibly just a random coincidental attack which doesn't make too much sense because what was the motive all the money was left behind all the valuables were left behind or Blair was right somebody was genuinely out to kill him and I don't know if we'll ever know certainly I hope that they can Close this case and figure it out and solve this mystery so the family has closure. It's a very tragic, tragic story. That's the case of Blair Adams. Very, very, very strange. Let me know your thoughts on that one. I, it's, uh, it's, there's so few details, it's a hard one to close the book on. Now, this next case is really, really strange. Um, it occurred in 1991. There was a man who, uh, who lived in Romania... His name is Vasil Gorgos, and he was 63 at the time, and he was a cattle salesman. And he would sell cattle every week, every two weeks or so. He did this for many, many years, and he was fairly well known in the cattle business in Romania. So one day, he tells his family that he's going into the city to discuss cattle trades, just a business trip. This was nothing unusual. He had made this exact same trip many, many times before. And he always took the train when he made these trips. And he, this was no different. He had his train tickets in hand, told his family that he would be back the same day as usual. These trips were only day trips. Very seldom were they anything that would be overnight. So Gorgos leaves only he doesn't return that evening. And this is very, very concerning to his family because it's just so out of place. Gorgos always returned in the evenings after these trips, so they knew something was amiss. So they alert the authorities right away. The police do the best they can, but there is absolutely no clues or evidence of this man or, or anything anywhere. It's a very, very hard case to crack right off right off the bat from the beginning well days turn into weeks and weeks into months and months into years and the family assumes that Gorgos has passed away due to probably foul play Um, but they, they don't know for sure because they never find any any clues and there really is no closure until 30 years later On Sunday, the 29th of August in 2021, a car pulls up and stops in front of Gorgos' family's house. It's still the same house where he lived 30 years ago. A now 93-year-old Gorgos steps out of the back seat of the car. Now, this is very strange. 30 years later, a car pulls up and drops the man off at his house. And nobody else gets out of the car. The car drives away before anyone can get a description of anybody else inside the vehicle. They can't. There was no time to, you know, get a license plate number. Nothing like that. And the man is standing in front of his house 30 years later. And it only gets stranger. He is wearing the same clothes that he had on when he left 30 years prior. His train ticket is still in his pocket. And when asked where he was for 30 years, his only reply was, I was at home. Now it sounds like there's some mental confusion here, but he's examined by physicians and found to be in perfect health. So wherever he was for 30 years, he was very well taken care of. And again, there were no serious medical issues with Gorgos. I mean, he was, he's 93, so there were some typical small neurological issues that were typical and, you know, not unheard of for someone that age, and that was it. He had no memory, apparently, of the last 30 years, but he remembered his family, his home, and all the details from before he went missing. So what happened here? Now, this one's interesting because it could be that he wanted to disappear, and he left on his own, of his own accord. And now that he's up in age and, you know, maybe starting to think about the end of his life, decided he wanted to come back home and just got a ride or hitchhike, who knows? Or maybe that something a little more nefarious is going on here. Was he kidnapped for some reason? Why him? It's just endless speculation as to what happened here. Very, very strange very, very bizarre case, and it's interesting because this one you know is is pretty current. Um, you know he returned in August of this year, so very strange uh, gonna keep an eye on this one because there may be more more to the story that will be coming out soon, hopefully because this is a really strange one. Where does someone go for thirty years? Personally, I think maybe this was him wanting to start a new life. Maybe he had a mistress, you know, who knows? It, it could be anything, but very, very bizarre, as are all of these. Now, this next one is very, very strange, and also it is just a fair warning, a little bit gruesome, um, as you will see. This is the case of Mateusz Kowiecki, and he was a 30-year-old Polish man. He lived in a small village in, in southeastern Poland. And he was working in Hanover, Germany, at a construction site um, for about five years for this particular company. And he lived with his father, who also worked in Hanover. Now, Mateus had a long-distance relationship with his fiance, and she was expecting their first child. And she lived in a village in northwestern Poland. Um, the day comes, and she's about about to give birth, and so Mateus he sets out to drive to meet her at the hospital and he was driving the fairly nice car a 1998 bmw 525 and he's leaving from hanover germany to a place called la Pia Gora, in poland and he gets off work at about 11:30 p.m and this is march 28 2018 now he is due to arrive around eight or nine the next morning uh, to meet his fiance and this trip is about 402 miles Um, However, Mateus, he never makes it to La Gorda. Now, according to his father, he called Mateus around 10.30 a.m. on March 29th, the next morning. His son, Mateus, answers the phone and tells him that there was terrible traffic, and he waited for like two hours in these traffic jams, and there was some accidents, and that he he is on his way. He's about 133 miles away. And he sends a text message to his fiancé stating that he'll be there in around two hours and that he's on his way. However, he never makes it. And that is the last anybody hears from Mateus. Many, many phone calls and attempts to reach him are unsuccessful. And everyone, especially his fiancé, is getting very, very, very worried. And she gets in touch with Matthäus' sister, uh, who lives in Hanover, Germany as well. And she tries to reach him. No one is able to get through. Now, his phone rings, but he doesn't pick up. So you know how sometimes if someone has their phone shut off or the battery is dead, it will just go straight to voicemail. This, that's not what's happening here. His phone is ringing. He's just not answering. And so finally, his mother goes to the police and tries to file a missing persons report. They discourage her from filing a report And stating that it's just too early early to do that and he'll likely turn up um, eventually. So it's kind of an odd response um, to someone's request under these circumstances, which is very strange. Eventually, his family is able to have him reported missing in both Germany and Poland. Now, this is where it gets a little sticky because the German police refuse to investigate as long as the Polish police are investigating. It's very bureaucratic and silly to me. They don't work together at all. And this is how it goes throughout this whole case, unfortunately. I suspect because he's a Polish citizen, maybe that it's kind of Poland's jurisdiction. Germany doesn't want anything to do with it. Seems kind of nonsensical to me. Um, You know, someone's missing. Let's work together and try and figure it out. But I, I guess not. And again, this, this becomes kind of a problem throughout this case. Uh, the family asks Polish police to try and locate Mateusz's cell phone, wh- which again was on for a couple days after he disappeared. But the police are unable to do this because Mateusz was using a German SIM card. And the German police, they can't locate, locate the phone either um, as Mateusz disappeared in Poland. It's just ridiculous, the red tape. Uh, it's unbelievable. Well, Polish police claim later that Mateusz's phone never connected to a Polish network. So it's unclear where Mateusz was when he received the call from his father because they're not showing him pinging any, any cell towers on any Polish network. It's very, very strange. So his family take matters into their own hands and start their own investigation. They, they travel the route that he would have taken. They look alongside the roads. They stop at shops. They put pictures up. They ask questions. They, they do all they can, and they get nowhere. There are no clues. No evidence or clues are found along the roads, and, but they're trying, and they even get on national television to plead their case. They talk about how the, the case isn't being handled properly by the authorities. But it's, it's like Mateus and his car are just gone, disappeared into thin air. This, this, it's getting nowhere, and he is completely vanished. Six months go by with, with no progress whatsoever in the case. And one day the family is at home, and a neighbor comes over to ask about their barn. Apparently there was a really foul odor coming from the barn, and people were starting to complain. Some neighbors were starting to complain, and one neighbor said he thought it was probably a dead animal, but he can't quite locate it. And eventually, he asks Mateus' mother if he can go check below the barn's roof. The way the barn's constructed, there was like a it was walled off at the top, so it's a situation where it created a little room, in an attic kind of room at the top of, of the barn. So she agrees, and he climbs up and sees a pile of clothes. And he starts looking around, and he finds out it's actually a dead human body and a severed head. It's a gruesome scene. There are two nooses hanging from the roof. Uh, and There's a backpack on the floor. All the stuff seems to be Mateus's, yet the corpse is too decomposed to be ID'd. Um, it's been a while. It's been, the body has been up there for quite some time. Um, Mateus wasn't headed home. That's the thing. That's the opposite direction he would have been going. He should have been heading northwest instead of, he ends up at his parents' house in this barn southeast. Um, at this point it's suspected that it's him. Again, they they could not tell. Um... But there's a, there's a great deal of distance between these two locations, and it just doesn't make sense. So the police come, and they quickly rule this a suicide. And they give all the belongings back to Mateus's family, and that's that. They just say it's suicide. End of, end of story. Closing the book on this one. It gets a little more strange. Four days after they found his body, Mateus's family find his shoe in the barn. His foot is still inside of the shoe. Um, I mean, this is pretty telling to me about the police not doing their job. Uh, You know, you collect all the evidence and everything, but you miss a shoe with a foot still in it. This was also not reported in the autopsy. So there's some really shoddy police work going on here. I'm just going to say it. It's actually pretty terrible. Um, Should be ashamed, really. It's pathetic. (laughs) Um, So Mateus' teeth are also knocked out and they're actually stuck to his clothes with what seems to be just coagulated blood. Um, Now, a head can be severed from the body as it's hanging for some time, Um, but it's difficult for teeth to get knocked out post-mortem. So that's an interesting little detail. Um, There were some bloody patches on his clothes. Uh, It's difficult to distinguish these, considering the clothes, are fairly dirty. Inside the backpack, there is a Polish water bottle with cigarette butts inside of it and an orange juice box. Now, Mateusz's family all claim he never drank orange juice. Uh, it's implied he actually didn't like it at all. Um, all this potential evidence is released with zero analysis. They do not They don't check it for DNA. They do nothing with it. They just hand it all back over to the family. Again, stellar police work we have here, isn't it? The other piece to this mystery is his car. It was never found. It wasn't found in Germany. It was not found in Poland. The keys were never located. That's another piece that really suggests foul play, because the car is gone. Never turned up anywhere. Now, it doesn't sound like the police are really looking for it either, but no one has reported coming across it or spotting it being driven. So, very, very, very strange. Also, a thing to note is that this village where his parents lived is a very, very small community. And the way the barn is situated, you can actually see the room where the body was found. If he was hanging there, he would have been seen. The body would have been seen hanging there before it, uh, quote-unquote, fell to the ground. It's, It's really strange, as the family uses that barn all summer. And... They never saw a body hanging there. No one saw anybody wandering around the village. Nobody saw Mateus uh, walking around or, or coming back into town. Of course, his car was no, never seen either. Very strange. The lack of police work just blows my mind. Could you not test the rope to see if he I was actually hanging there? Uh, it's bizarre to me. The, the, the police and the public uh, prosecutor and investigators... To this day, still claim it's suicide and refuse to investigate further. Um, again, wow. Man, stellar, stellar police work over there. Pathetic. Anyway, (laughs) very strange case. Clearly, there's foul play here. This was not suicide. I think it's pretty obvious. Maybe it was set up to look like suicide, but it was a really poor attempt and very uh, unconvincing. So, to this day, it's still baffling. There is no answers to this one as of yet. One clue that I forgot to mention, and this is interesting, is that there were public transport tickets from Poland dated past the date of his disappearance. So he was actively moving around. Why didn't he pick up his phone? Why didn't he call his fiance? They have a baby. I mean, maybe, maybe he was panicked, wasn't ready to have a child suicide seems like an extreme reaction but you know one never knows what what's going on in one's head i you know it's a difficult thing to suss out but this just doesn't look or feel like suicide to me nor the family or pretty much anybody else who has read about this case it's very sad and tragic um it remains unsolved and really shitty police work i'm just gonna say it i hope they hear this (laughs) It's terrible. Anyway, that's that case. Very sad, very tragic. Hopefully, uh, with all of these, they can, they can get some resolution and closure. This next one is another very, very strange case, and that is the case of Gunther Stoll. This occurred in 1984 and is very, very strange. He was employed um, at a food processing plant, and he had sort of a kind of a case of paranoia. Prior to his death, Um, he would occasionally tell his wife that he was afraid of them, referring to some group of people, unknown to anybody. He never really got specific about who he was referring to. So one evening, October 25th, 1984, he shouts to his wife, Now I've got it! And then he writes down on a piece of scrap paper, six letters, all capital, Y-O-G-T-Z-E, on a sheet of paper, instantly crossing them out. Shortly after that, he goes to his favorite bar. He orders a beer, sits down to have his beer, falls over on the ground, injuring his face. Now, people that were at the bar said that he was not under the influence of, of alcohol. He had only ordered one beer, but suddenly just fell over unconscious. He wakes up, and he drives away. He leaves, and it's not known what he did for the next two hours. But about two hours later, he goes to the town where he grew up. Now, this occurred in Germany. And there he talks to a woman he knew from his childhood. And he talks about this horrible incident at the bar, and it's getting very, very late. So the woman tells him, you know, you've got to leave. Um, Your parents live close by. Why don't you go talk with them, and stay with with them. So Gunther leaves. He leaves the woman, and around 3 a.m., two truck drivers discover Stoll's crashed vehicle in a ditch along the highway. Both truck drivers testified that they saw an injured person in a white jacket walking near the car. They call law enforcement and proceed to check on the occupants of the vehicle and they find they find Gunther stole naked in his car in the passenger seat. Um, he was conscious and he did speak of four other male passengers who had been with him in the car, but they had he claims they ran away. Um, they, he was asked if these men were his friends and Gunther says, no, they weren't but he doesn't have a chance to go into any further detail. He passes away on the way to the hospital. So an investigation ensues, and it it shows that Stoll was injured before the crash. It is discovered that he had been hit or run over by another vehicle and then placed back in his own vehicle. So it seems like something nefarious is going on here. He was hit or run over by a car and put into his own car and was being driven away for some weird reason. And then whoever was driving his vehicle, uh, you know, crashed it along the highway. Um, it was also concluded that he was naked at the time he was run over. So very, very strange circumstances. Now there were other drivers that reported seeing uh, a hitchhiker close to an exit from the highway where the car was found um, of course, the hitchhiker nor the person in the white jacket were ever located or identified. And, oddly, probably the part, strangest part of this puzzle, that scrap of paper with Y-O-G-T-Z written on it was found next to him in the vehicle. And it has yet to be deciphered what this word means. It could be an acronym. It is not a word in any known language. It stumped investigators for two decades. It is quite the mystery. So very, very strange missing persons cases and deaths. These were creepy to look into, but fascinating. And there's there's several of these. There are a couple episodes worth that I found. So we will be coming back to this topic. It's very, very strange. Uh, It reminded me a lot, some of these cases reminded me a lot of the 411, Missing 411 episode that I did. It's really, really bizarre cases. That's all I have for this one. Again, there are more of these that I have um, jotted down that I will be revisiting because these these are really, really interesting. I find them fascinating, albeit tragic and sad. I think these deserve some more attention and, you know, hopefully, again, they can find uh, the answers to these mysteries and give these families some closure that they so much deserve. So again, that's all I've got. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join me next week when I'll be discussing Unsolved Codes. There are a lot of these out there um, hidden in plain sight, if you will, and a lot of these have not been broken a lot of codes and uh, you know puzzles out there that are just waiting to be solved and broken so tune in we're going to talk about unsolved codes hey thanks again and as always be well